You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Thankfully, Canada has not been the site of too many mass casualty events. Anyone that lives here knows that crime is not something that is dormant, but we can at least say that we do not find ourselves in situations like what happened on April 23rd of 2018 too often. If you live anywhere near Toronto, Ontario, you likely remember where you were, what you were doing, and how you heard about the tragic event that took the lives of 11 people and injured 15 more. That was the day that a man who was mad at the world and part of the incel movement that is still gaining notoriety today took it upon himself to rent a van and drive through one of the busiest areas in Toronto, mowing people down cold-heartedly and unmercilessly. Hello, my name is Lance, and welcome to episode 77 of Gone But Never Forgotten, Incel Mass Murder, The Young Street Van Attack. Alec Manassian was born on November 3, 1992, to his father Vahe, who had moved to Canada from Armenia and worked as a software developer for Rogers, a telecommunications giant in Canada, and his mother Sona, who had moved to Canada from Iran. Sona worked for Compugen, an IT company. Alec spent his childhood living with his parents and his older brother Hag. The family lived in Richmond Hill on Elmsley Drive, and Alec would attend 16th Avenue Public School, which was just a few blocks from the family home. Alec was a dreamer as a child. He wanted to grow up and become a pilot. He dreamed of flying aircraft high up in the sky, somewhere that he believed that he would feel safe and useful. Sadly, though, because of issues that Alec had demonstrated, his family was fairly certain that he would not be able to attain those heights. Alec was a troubled boy, and many people believed from early on that he was likely a special needs child. Alec was quiet, sensitive, easy to set off, and he was often bullied by those around him. In school, he became known for throwing massive temper tantrums when things did not go his way, and he was also known to isolate himself from everyone else whenever possible. One former classmate of Alec remembers being in an after-school daycare program with him and remembers that Alec would isolate himself in the corner of the room and hoard whatever toys that he wanted to play with. 
If anyone would try to take a toy that Alec had set aside for himself, he would react by screaming very loudly. Before Alec would move on to high school, he would be diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is now more commonly classified as being autism spectrum disorder. For high school, Alec would attend Thornley Secondary School, and he attended special needs and learning strategy classes, and that created an atmosphere where he was finally able to make some friends. Alec would become known as the class clown, and he was known for going out of his way to make everyone else laugh. He would do so by speaking in accents and also making fun of himself, often joking about having Asperger's syndrome. He would partake in conversations that centered on video games often, as that was a pastime that he really enjoyed, but he stayed out of conversations that centered around girls from school, how attractive they were, and who the boys all wanted to date. Sadly, even though Alec had found a solid group of friends in the special needs classes, when he was around the school body at large, life was certainly not easy for him. Alec had numerous physical tics, including one that would cause him to make growling noises without any provocation. The kids in his school would unmercilessly bully him and even nicknamed him Chewbacca, after the Star Wars Wookiee who growled as his way of communicating. The kids would poke and prod verbally and physically at Alec and laugh at him as he would make noises or try to bite them in response. One friend recalls that Alec would say that he put on all of this as an act for the attention that it brought him. He was unsure whether Alec even realized that he was being bullied. Alec's parents tried to help him in any way that they could. His mom enrolled him in Helpmate, which is a community-based program that helped with life skills training. As a part of that, Alec would get a summer job working with his mom at CompuGen. When Alec turned 15, he received his very own computer from his parents, and he became obsessed and immersed in the game Halo, which is a first-person shooter that evolves around super soldiers fighting for interstellar domination. Halo was appealing to Alec because every player started with the same abilities on an even playing field. Alec also would find joy in the game because he could play with friends that he met online or strangers and he needed to only speak if he wanted to, and he realized that the online world did not come with the stresses, the bullying, or the laughter that he faced every day in real life. Alec would also realize through his gaming and that computer that he was very good with computers. After high school, he would pursue a computer programming diploma from Seneca College, which has a campus at York University, which was not far from his home in Richmond Hill. Alec excelled in his classes at Seneca and even found himself receiving the honor of a gig as a research assistant at Seneca's Center for Development of Open Technology. That was a prestigious position because it was known that research assistants there often had doors open to them with prestigious software companies. It seemed that Alec had found his place in the world after surviving his earlier years of hell. Unfortunately, though, 
Alex still struggled when it came to professional settings. He excelled in school, and his classmates even recognized him as being brilliant. He would post detailed blogs to help other students in his courses, and he even created his own apps that were actually very good. However, when he would find a position for work, those positions did not last long. He would find himself fired from a position at Too Good Financial Systems after only six months, and he also worked a placement with Omers, a pension company, but he was not invited back into a full-time position. Alec continued to thrive at school and online, but just couldn't seem to make it work in those professional environments. In September of 2017, things changed drastically for Alec. His parents had long been encouraging him to enlist in the army, so one semester before he was going to finish his degree at Seneca, he did exactly that. He dropped out of Seneca, passed his entrance assessment, and reported for training at a military facility in Quebec. Fellow recruits would remember him being much the same that he had been as a child, shy and withdrawn. Things started to fall apart quickly for Alec, and it became clear to everyone that he was the weak link of the platoon that he had been placed in. His section leader could not understand how Alec had even passed his entrance exam. His motor control skills were much less than expected of army recruits, and the leader even believed that Alec would not have ever qualified for a civilian firearm license. So... He wondered how he managed to be enlisted in the army. Andrew Summerfield, that leader of the platoon, did everything that he could do to try and help Alec to fit in, even rushing through his own morning routines to try and help Alec catch up and fit in as best as possible. However, almost every day there were issues with Alec, his behavior, following guidelines, and his general persona. Andrew felt that Alec was perhaps so withdrawn that he didn't realize the gravity of the situation, nor the fact that the others were making fun of him and suffering because of his seeming, un seeming unwillingness to improve. After only 16 days, Alec asked to be discharged from the forces, and when he left, his platoon mates were relieved because he was holding the platoon back and they also feared putting a firearm into his hands. They did not believe that he would be violent, they didn't see violence or anger in Alec, but they believed that there was zero chance that he would be able to learn how to properly load or use a firearm. Alec would return to Seneca College to complete that final semester of his degree. However, a change in his personality started to appear immediately. Having always been a student that made fun of himself, he may not have realized the gravity of what he was saying. But students remember him saying that he had been in the army, but left. When asked why he left, Alec would say that it was because he did not get to use guns as often as he had hoped. Students remember that this didn't seem to come across like a joke. Classmates at Seneca remember that Alec never took part in their conversations about women, shrugging things off when people asked him different things. 
Alex seemed focused on finding a job for himself after graduation and had never seemed all that interested in women. Come March, Alex still had not found himself a job for after graduation, though, and classmates remember that he started to come unglued. He got into a verbal fight with another student near the end of the semester and stormed out of the room after screaming profanities. On April 19th, at the end of the semester, he posted on Slack, an app that the students used to communicate, that said, quote, Finally finished college. Fuck you all and good riddance, unquote. His classmates believed that it was a joke, and one even responded with the quote, Ha ha, fuck you, good luck finding a job, unquote. When Alec did not respond, the classmate would message Alec privately and ask if he was alright, but Alec never responded. At some point along the way, Alec had become involved and invested in the online incel community. If you're unfamiliar with the term, it's believed to have started back in 1997 with a woman from Toronto named Alana, who was studying at Carleton University in Ottawa. Alana had been struggling with dating and insecurity around people of the opposite sex, and she started a website that was text-based and called Alana's Involuntary Celibacy Project, which was a forum for people who had trouble creating meaningful intimate relationships. There were more males than females, but certainly members of both sexes. Over time, the incel movement grew, and in 2014, a man named Elliot Roger would write a 141-page manifesto that was titled My Twisted World, and he would send that to friends, family, and he would also post it online on YouTube. Roger would rant about the fact that he was 22, still a virgin, and he would talk about the fact that he hated seeing women go after awful men when he, the perfect boyfriend material, was right there in front of them, wallowing, all alone. Roger then said that he was going to punish the women in his life for it. He would go on a killing spree, killing his two roommates and a friend that was in the house, two other women outside of a sorority house, another man, and then himself. Sadly, Roger was heralded as a hero within the incel community. Interest in incel communities on sites like Reddit and others would balloon, and at some point, Alec Manassian would start to read and post on one such group on Reddit, where the people would talk about things like incest, selling women as slaves, and other degrading things towards women that they believed were holding them back. Unfortunately, as we see far too often in true crime, Alex seemed to become invested and obsessed with the incel culture, and it really became a part of him and festered. In early April of 2018, Alec would call a company called Ryder, who specialized in truck rentals. He wanted to rent a van. He told the employee that he was going to be graduating from school soon, and he needed a van to move him and his furniture. He would provide a credit card over the phone that was needed for a deposit on the van, and then he would wait. On April 23rd of 2018, around 12.30 p.m., 
Alec would arrive at the Ryder Truck Rental, located at 700 Credit Stone Road in Vaughan, Ontario, and he would pick up a white Chevrolet cargo van. Alec was wearing black pants, a black hoodie, and a blue t-shirt. He would show his driver's license to the employee at the counter, and he told the employee that he was going to be moving his furniture from school. The employee ran the license through the system for a background check, and when it came back clean, Alec was given the keys. Alec walked into the lot, got into the truck, started the ignition, and then got out of the truck and walked towards the street. One of the rider sales reps watched on as Alec walked to the street, seemed to look around, and then walked slowly back to the truck. The attendant asked Alec if he needed help, and Alec said that he was more familiar with newer cars and asked if the attendant could show him how to put the truck in drive. She climbed in and showed him how to pull the gear shift down while he watched on nervously. After the sales rep left, Alec would sit in that parking lot for about 20 minutes. He also posted to Facebook, quote, Private Manassian, Infantry 00010, wishing to speak to Sergeant 4chan, please. C-232-49161. The incel rebellion has already begun. We will overthrow all the Chads and Stacys. All hail the Supreme Gentleman, Elliot Roger. Unquote. After he posted that message, Alec would slowly drive away, and the employees remember laughing because Alec was the first person that they had ever seen rent a truck and not know how to put it into drive. Alec would drive along Highway 7, and then he would turn southbound on Young Street. At around 1.24 p.m. at the intersection of Young and Finch, a very busy intersection in Toronto, Alec would mount the curb with the van and drive very quickly down the sidewalk on the west side of Young Street. As the van approached Churchill Avenue, it left the sidewalk, went across the center median, and then headed south on Young Street in the northbound lanes. At 1.26 p.m., the situation would change from an erratic driver to something much more deadly. The van would steer back onto the sidewalk near 5160 Young Street, and Alec would strike multiple people who were walking on the sidewalk, including Anne-Marie D'Amico, who was standing close to the intersection of Empress and Young. A man named Rob Grieco would dial 911 and alert them of the situation while he ran to try and help Anne-Marie. Rob would not be the only person to call 911, as multiple reports came in quickly of the van that was hitting people on the sidewalks on Young Street. Just before Elmhurst Avenue on Young, the van would again swerve back into the southbound lanes before turning right into a laneway and heading west to Beercroft Road. The van would then turn south on Beercroft Road to Shepherd and would head east on Shepherd back to Young Street. The van would then turn right onto Young Street back onto the sidewalk and sped south along the west side of Young. At that point, the van would hit more pedestrians, and one of them splashed a drink on the windshield. Alec would then turn right onto Points Avenue with the intention of stopping to clean the glass. 
At 1.31 p.m., Alec would stop on points after hitting 26 people over a two-kilometer hit-and-run spree. He got out of the van with the intention of being killed by a police officer so that he could be a martyr to the incel community. He swung his phone around in the air as though it was a gun and shouted, quote, Kill me. Shoot me in the head. Unquote. Suicide by police is a suicide method where a suicidal person behaves on purpose in a threatening manner with the intent to provoke a deadly response from law enforcement. This, however, did not pan out the way that Alec wanted, and he was subdued in the end by one officer, Constable Kevin Lamb, without firing a single shot. Lamb would approach slowly with his gun drawn until Alec threw his phone to the side and dropped to the ground with his face to the pavement. Only seven minutes after the first 911 call came in, Alec Manassian was under arrest. At 1.47, nearby Sunnybrook Hospital would declare a code orange, which is used to announce a mass casualty event outside of the hospital, and it means that the hospital will increase their capacity and use all hospital resources that are available. At 1.58 p.m., the TTC announced that they were diverting all services away from their North York Center station where police would be investigating for some time after the event. For anyone that was in the area or followed the story, it's actually incredible that everything from start to finish happened within a span of seven minutes. In a city where things like this are largely unheard of, the reaction time was amazing, and Constable Lamb acted in an incredible capacity to both apprehend and apprehend alive the culprit of this horrific event. Just a little bit of a personal story here. I was on my way into work and remember having the news blast over the radio and seeing officers and emergency vehicles heading to the scene from every direction. Unfortunately, nine lives would be lost at the scene. Another person died that evening, and another person would lose her life as a result of the van attack three years later. Fifteen other people were injured in the attack. Let's take a few minutes here to remember the lives of those people who were taken away from this earth far too soon. Betty Forsyth was 94 years old at the time of her death and friends and family described her as a walking library and a woman who loved to look into the history of her family. She loved to be outdoors and loved to watch and feed birds and squirrels. Betty was born on July 30th of 1923 in Peacehaven, East Sussex, in the United Kingdom, and she moved to Canada in 1968. Betty lived with a quick wit, a brilliant sense of humor, and she loved going to the casino, watching Coronation Street, and enjoying a good cup of tea. When Betty tragically lost her life, her family flew her back to England, where she was buried next to her mother and her brother. Ji Han Kim was 22 years old and a student from South Korea that was studying at Seneca College. She was known to her professors and classmates as June. She was out on the sidewalk of Young Street. She was the only child to her parents. She was a quiet young woman who had integrated well at Seneca 
and was remembered as a truly kind friend with a tremendous personality. She was said to be a force of positivity and happiness. She was born on September 4th, 1994 in South Korea. Sohee Chung was 22 years old and a student at the University of Toronto. She also worked as a sales associate at Holt Renfrew. She was remembered by her best friend as being a funny, mature, and also for being a human dictionary. Co-workers said that she was kind, gentle, and a warm soul who lit up every room that she came into with her genuine smile. They also said that she was ambitious, respectful, and had a very bright future ahead of her. She was studying molecular biology at the University of Toronto and was a member of the Korean Students' Union. Geraldine Brady was 83 years old, and she tried to teach everyone around her, including her daughter, to think the best of people and to deal with everyone with patience and understanding. Geraldine grew up in the area and lived with her husband on Hounslow Avenue for over 60 years. She was also a cancer survivor. That day, Geraldine had gone to the Bank of Nova Scotia to take money out for birthdays that were approaching for family members. She had already purchased the cards and was just retrieving the money for the gifts. She then purchased diapers for her great-grandson and was returning to the bank to pay some bills. Geraldine was still working for and delivering Avon orders to her clients, which she had been doing for 45 years. She is remembered as kind, caring, and just an absolutely lovely woman. Shulman Kang was 45 years old and had come to Canada from Korea with his wife of 20 years. He worked as a cook at the Copacabana Brazilian Steakhouse in Toronto. He was remembered by co-workers at the restaurant as a man who brought happiness every day that he was at work. He had a bright smile and a major passion for cooking. He was known to friends as Eddie, and he had been working for months to create an affiliated restaurant underneath the Copacabana that was going to combine Argentinian and Peruvian cuisine. He is dearly missed by everyone that knew him. Anne-Marie D'Amico was 30 years old and had a spirit that lifted every room she came into, and she loved to make everyone around her laugh. She was working at Invesco and had just completed a data analytics course. Anne-Marie loved to live life on the wild side. She'd been skydiving in the Swiss Alps. She had ziplined through mountains in Italy, and she had even joined in the world-famous cheese-rolling race on Cooper's Hill in England. Anne-Marie also had a black belt in Taekwondo and played softball regularly. Anne-Marie's family has also launched a foundation in her name to help children and women live free from violence. Munir Najjar was 85 years old and was born in Salt, Jordan on December 10th of 1932. He attended university in Baghdad and then moved to the United States and then his career would take him back to Libya and Jordan. He was married to his wife for 54 years and they enjoyed doing everything together, including cooking, 
playing cards and games, and watching television shows. He and his wife had come to Canada in March of 2018 to spend time with their children and their grandchildren. He was said to have seen the beauty in everything around him, and he truly loved all of the little things in life. He believed that there was beauty and goodness in everything and everyone. He had simply been on a walk to get Starbucks when he was struck by Alec and killed. Dorothy Sewell was 80 years old, and she enjoyed going for drives with her best friend and sister. She loved sports and was an avid watcher of all of the Toronto sports teams. She loved life and even had a bucket list of things that she wanted to do before she was unable, even walking the outer rim of the CN Tower. Sadly, though, time ran out on her completing her list when she was struck by Alec and the rented van. Her family said that she was loving and thoughtful and never missed an occasion or a celebration. She was always on the phone loving and living for her friends and family and making their lives better in any way that she could. Andrea Braddon was 33 years old and was said to have a smile that lit up every room. She was awaiting the birth of her nephew, who was born a month after the attack, and she was going to be the godmother. Andrea was said to be the cool aunt to all of her nieces and nephews, and she was always the person who would give the best gifts. Andrea had just finalized her divorce and gone on her first date back in the dating world as well. Friends and family were especially saddened that a woman who gave everything she had to everyone did not get the second chance that she deserved at finding love. Renuka Amarasinga was 45 years old and came to Canada from Sri Lanka in 2010 with her husband from an arranged marriage. Renuka was a survivor of physical and emotional abuse by her husband and she had stood up to him and everything. Her husband would be arrested and charged and the two would get divorced. Officer Laura Middleton would help Renuka through that tough situation and the birth of her son, and she said that Renuka was a symbol of courage and inspiration to her and many others. She had gone back to school and graduated in 2015 and landed a job with the Toronto District School Board as a Nutrition Services staff member, recently starting at Earl Hagg Secondary School. She left behind a seven-year-old son named Dion. Finally, Amoresh Tesfamarium was 65 years old and born on March 12, 1956 in Ethiopia. She was the third oldest of four brothers and five sisters. She would become an elementary teacher in the 1980s and she would later move to Montreal looking for a new life as war escalated back home and she lived there for almost 10 years. She would then move to Toronto as she was having a hard time finding a meaningful job. In 1999, she returned to school to become a nurse and she went on to work at a long-term care home in Toronto. In the attack, she suffered catastrophic injuries that left her paralyzed from the neck down and forced her to use a ventilator to breathe. Her family was told that she may only survive for weeks. 
She, however, did live for three years in two different hospitals and was determined to return home, even if that was in a wheelchair. Sadly, though, she never did, and she succumbed to her injuries in October of 2021. This was just an incredible loss of life. Innocent people who were out on the streets enjoying beautiful weather, people who were just walking, doing errands, and minding their own business lost their lives. As you see from the description, most of these people are remembered as exceedingly wonderful human beings all innocent of anything, and all chosen at random by a monster behind the wheel of a van who was killing and hitting anyone and everyone that was unlucky enough to wind up in his path. Alec would appear with a lawyer before the Ontario Court of Justice in Toronto on April 24, 2018, the very next day. He was dressed in a prison jumpsuit, and he was shackled. He was officially charged with 10 counts of first-degree murder and 13 counts of attempted murder. He was told that he was not to be in contact whatsoever with any of the attempted murder victims. On May 10th, they would up the charges, adding three more counts of attempted murder for a total of 16 counts. His trial was originally set for February 10th, 2020, and would be moved back to March 2nd, then to April 6th, and was again postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic in Toronto, finally set for November. The trial would finally start on November 10th of 2020, 942 days after the van attack. The trial was conducted over Zoom because of the pandemic. Alec Manassian, even though he has admitted to planning out and carrying out the van attack, pled not criminally responsible for the 10 counts of first-degree murder and 16 counts of attempted murder. A psychiatrist for the defense team said that Alec's autism and way of thinking was severely distorted and that his mind worked in a way that was very similar to psychosis, even though Alec had never been found to be psychotic. This attempt at defense was met with much vitriol as autism rights activists were outraged that this comparison was made and they were also worried that such a defense would only serve to make people look down even more on people who had autism. Ontario Superior Court Justice Anne Malloy rejected all of that out of hand. She believed that most of the things that were presented as defense in the case including the autism and psychosis argument, and even the contention that Alec was driven by incel culture. She believed that Alec was driven mostly by the desire for notoriety. She even mentioned Alec only as Mr. Doe at trial, because she did not want to give him more of what she deemed he was looking for. She said that it was hard to tell when Alec was lying, and when he was telling the truth, and even wondered if he knew the difference himself. On March 3rd of 2021, Alec Manassian was found guilty on all counts in a verdict that was even streamed live on YouTube. Sentencing, however, was deferred until 2022. That was because of what we've talked about in the past, the Supreme Court and the appeal on whether criminals in Canada could serve murder sentences consecutively. 
Sadly, as we mentioned in a past show on Dellen Millard, the Supreme Court did rule that it was cruel and unusual punishment to serve convictions consecutively, and as such, on June 13th of 2022, Alec Manassian was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for only 25 years. Alec Manassian would immediately file an appeal a month later, saying that the judge had made unreasonable findings. If the appeal is successful, Alec Manassian does have a right to a trial by judge and jury, something that he did not have in the first trial because of COVID restrictions. That is where things sit on this case at present. This is the deadliest vehicle ramming attack in Canadian history, and truly is something that we will never that will never be forgotten in the minds of people who knew victims, nor in the minds of the public at large. This was one of those events on Canadian soil that is something that we do not see here very often, thankfully. Something that incited fear into the public and the reality really set in that you can be an innocent person in this country as well, going about your own business and have your life taken for no reason other than being in the wrong place at the wrong time. We will update this case, or at the very least update on social media, when news comes on the appeal or any other news comes out on Alec Manassian. In the meantime, as I always say, let me know what you think. Send an email, interact on social media, and support the show in any and all ways possible. I always love to hear from the goners who follow the show. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to be better.